right. How's everybody doing today? It's great being up here. Okay. What happened to our new Philly cup? What's up with this little paper cup? Um, it's great having a piano in here, right? Uh, it's a... Uh, you know, it really is. It, like the piano and the and the, the music that comes from a piano really like sets the tone for worship at times. Uh, unfortunately, the person, the the pretty girl that was playing the piano, uh, she, she doesn't belong to us. She's uh, from our hillside campus. Her name is Susie, and uh, she's joining us. But I don't know. I wanna, I don't know. I wanna kind of make a request and see if we can. Uh, it's nice in Busan. That'd be great, you know. But um, right now, we bought a piano in faith, uh, knowing that, you know, God will bring somebody that, to play it. <clears throat> and so, um, <clears throat> if you're gifted, yeah, if you're gifted in the, in, in musically and, you know, you, you know how to play, if you could do what she did, come talk to me, okay? That'd be great. We'd love to have you. Um, I'm going to be uh, continuing my series on the book of Acts. And, you know, when you read the book of Acts, it's kind of a, it's a history book. You know, you, you talk, um, it's basically a recollection. Luke writes this as a historical account of what happened in the early church. And um, I don't know if you guys know, but I am a history buff. Growing up, I loved history. Who, who likes history? Who likes, yeah, some of you guys love history. I loved, I was actually a history major in college. Freshman year, I majored in history. Because um, I really liked it. And I, it's the one, it's the one subject in like, in middle school and high school. I always got A's in history. Because I really, I, I love just kind of studying history, and I like learning about history. Um, and then I changed my major to accounting because uh, I was dating this girl. And then uh, she, she, I think she kind of wanted to marry us. Then we wanted to get married at one point. And she's like, well, a history major will not make you a lot of money. And Pastor Mina knows about this. And so she actually, like, kind of told me to change my major. So I changed my major to accounting, which really sucked. You know, I, I, I hated it. It's one of the reasons why um, now when Mina gives, like, she does our finances, and uh, she'll, like, give me these, like, charts and this, this uh, expense report, kind of what our expenses look like. I don't know. It's, it's like some kind of, I don't know, I need healing or something because I, I look at it, and I just feel anxious. I'm like, oh, because I remember those accounting classes. It comes to mind, and I just feel like I need deliverance from, like, numbers, you know? But I should have stuck with my first love, which is history. Know, and I, I really loved history. And as I'm going through the book of Acts, I realized uh, it really is a historical account of what happened. You know? And right now we're going to come to an end of the first. Today we're, I'm going to cover a, a section of the book that's going to cover. It's like the first section of the book of Acts. You know, it's from chapters 1 through 7. It's considered the beginning of the church. It's an account of what happened in the early church. You know, of how it was established. Who did it. You know, and what spirit it was done. It was leading of the Holy Spirit. How how God was really increasing them. Um, and I, I'm going to kind of jump around here and there uh, between chapters 6 and 7 today. Um, and when, when we look at the book of Acts, in the, in, in the beginning of the book of Acts, there's a, a common theme that emerges. And that theme is just numerical growth. There were, it was an explosive, explosive time of growth for this church. You know, they would, the apostles would step out in faith. They would preach the word of God. Signs and wonders, signs and wonders would accompany them, and their numbers would increase dramatically. It wasn't like 30, 40 people. And if 30, 40 people came to our church today, we'd be like, wow, that is awesome. 
And if they stayed, I'd be like, wow, that's amazing. It's a, it's a miracle. But uh, this, you know, it was, it was by the hundreds. It was by the thousands. And it was almost like they couldn't help but grow. You know what I mean, it, it was like they would get persecuted. People, they stop preaching in the name of Jesus or we're going to beat you up. And they actually beat them up. But then the church would grow. You know, and two members of the church would drop dead in front of all these people because they lied. <laughs> if I went to a church and it was like, oh, you know, there's two people from our church died yesterday because they lied. I'd be like, all right, I'm going to go to another church. Maybe uh, see what, what, what these people are all about over here, the Pharisees. But like these, they, like, uh, there's an account of two people, Ananias and Sapphira, dropping dead. You know, in the midst of the, the church, these are church members. And right after that, the church would grow even more. They couldn't help but grow. And some say this is like an image of the perfect church, this, the beginning of the church in Acts. Um, like Luke records twice in the, before the first five chapters of the book of Acts, these two accounts of how it was almost like a communistic society. Everybody was selling their stuff and giving it to the poor, giving it to people in need. They were all eating together, living. They were meeting every day, you know? And, uh, you know, and, and people were selling their property for the common good. And some say it's, it's like a picture of the perfect church, but I, I beg to differ. And I, I preached on this, on this before, but it was like a honeymoon stage for the church. It was a beginning. It was like this honeymoon stage where everything was really special. You know? And because of this like, huge numerical growth, they needed, this kind of a structure needed to be established in order to accommodate this growth. You know, hundreds and thousands of people were gathering from all around the world, people from all different languages. And they're like, you know, they were coming together by, by the thousands. And so this, this structure was, was implemented at the beginning of the church. But it was, it's not a definition of the perfect church. Because right? things change. You know, as you go down, things change. And they start doing things a little differently. They, start, they didn't meet every day again. They started establishing leadership, structure, you know. And so, and, but it's marked by numerical growth. It's, it's marked by like, almost like supernatural growth. And it's almost like a baby. When a baby is first born, an infant, when Karis was first born, she didn't, look, she didn't look like what she looked like now, right? Her face was all tiny and squished up, and she was only like this big, you know? Babies all look the same. They all look like aliens, you know? Like, you know? I'm, I'm sure when we have our baby, you know, look, look like an alien, you know? But within the first six months of the baby, from after it's born, it grows one inch a day. You know that? The average growth of an infant is one inch a day in the first six months. And then after that, it's half an inch. I mean, not inch, uh, uh, wrong. One inch a month, okay? A baby is like six feet tall in three weeks. Um, A baby grows one inch a month when it's first born. You guys are looking at me like, this guy is crazy. A baby grows one inch a month. And then after the first six months, it grows half an inch a month. So, like, when the first year, there's this dramatic, like, effect comes over this child. You know, it, like, literally changes. It almost doubles in size in the first year. And it starts to learn all of these crazy things that they didn't know before. It starts to, like, pick things up. It starts to smile. It starts to, oh, like, stand up on his feet. Karis, we went to a kitty cafe with Karis yesterday. She can barely walk. She, she almost can walk. She's like, this. she'll get up, and she'll stand up, and she'll go, and she'll just fall on the ground. But, you know, she's right at the precipice of walking, you know. But it's, it takes so many, like, motor muscles and skills and all of these things 
Like the advancement that a child goes through in the first like three years of his life is more than anything that we'll go through in our lifetime. And, and this is kind of like what the church was in the beginning. It was this incredible growth that was coming over the church. It was a supernatural growth. And last time we left off in chapter 5, you know, the, the, they continue to pre- preach the word of God, continue to preach the gospel. The church is increasing by the thousands, are being added to their numbers. And these religious leaders, they start hating on them. They're like, man, this, this can't happen. You, know, you guys are ruining it for us, man. We had a good thing here. Well, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, like, man, I like, we liked the way that things were. And all these thousands of people are going to this, this, you know, this, this movement that's been happening, started by this guy named Jesus. We can't have this anymore. And so they, they got them together. They told them, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And, and Peter's like, well, you know, we, can, we, can, we'll, we need to obey God rather than, the, rather than men. You know, we're like, when it comes down to it, we've got to obey what God is telling us. We've got to be obedient to the call of God. So that's what I preached on in my last message, uh, obedience to God at all costs. And we continue on today into chapter 6. Like it says, the disciples were increasing in numbers. And in this increase, in this abundant increase, a problem emerges in the church. There's two types of Jews in the church. There's the Hebrew Jews, the ones that speak Aramaic. And then there's the Hellenistic Jews. They're the ones that were kind of spread out throughout the land, and they tend to speak Greek. Okay, they're the Greek Jews. It's kind of like Korean Koreans and then Korean Americans, like the diaspora. The same people, which is different language and a little bit of different culture. You know? And, and when, you know, I know when I'm in a, in a room with a, like another, especially in elevators. I'll be in an elevator. I'll be there with my wife. And then everything's fine. And then I'll say something in English. And they go. <laughs> and then instantly something is created between us. Like, these are not, they're not one of us, you know? <laughs> it happens. I, I've seen it happen. Everything's fine. All of a sudden, they see us speaking English. They're like, who? What is this? <laughs> and, and, and it's like, like that, in, within the, the Jewish culture at this time in the church, there was a divide. It goes, and, and, and it, it kind of like ends up in, has to deal with food later on as, we, as we're going to go out. But it actually was a deeper line that was been drawn between these two, two Jewish cultures. And so we see what God is doing, okay? God is growing the people. He's, in, it, he's uh, empowering the church. And then we see what the enemy is doing. The enemy comes, and he comes with uh, division and distraction. I mean, God is growing them, and all of a sudden, out of this growth comes division, and it comes distraction. You know, there's a genuine need in the church. And the enemy uses this genuine need, which is the widows are being not, not being taken care of. And then the enemy turns it around and brings division and distraction from a genuine need. And when I, when I was reading this and I was kind of meditating on it, I kind of see what's happening at our, at our Korean church back at, in Seoul. Cherry Songdo Church um, is, is the church that we're under. It's a Korean church that we're under. And right now there is a genuine need. Okay? Pastor Huang is retiring. And, and somebody needs to take, you know, become the, the lead pastor again. But out of this need, the enemy comes and he's, try, he's trying to divide. The enemy always comes to try to, to try to divide and always to distract. You know, and there's a, for a while, there's a lot of distraction in, our church, in the church. There's a lot of people that were just getting distracted. And, and what, what was happening was this distraction, distraction that was coming was keeping the people from, from the apostles from preaching the word of God. And this is a big no-no. 
Okay? We can't let this happen in our church. The word of God must be preached. Amen. Prayer and the ministry of the word. It talks about it in verse 6. It says prayer. We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. It must go out. And prayer and ministry of the word, it goes hand in hand. Because you can't have ministry of the word without prayer. I mean, and so these, it needed to happen. This is what marks a church is, is, is preaching of the word of God. You know, what separates the church from just another social gathering is a preaching and the ministry of the word of God. It's not fellowship. A lot of people, we think fellowship, you know, it's all about the church. But there's, there's a lot of social groups out there that do fellowship probably better than us. You know, and it's not counseling. A lot of people, a lot of counseling happens in our church, but that's not what marks the church. Okay? I, I remember watching a TV show, and it was like this, this, psychiatrist, this psychiatrist was talking to this person. He's like, you know what? You have this trauma, but you, know, you need to go back to the source of that trauma and, and deal with that source. And you got to go back there and say, it is not your fault. It is not your fault. And she started crying, and she felt better afterwards. And I'm like, man, that's what we do in our deliverance ministry. You know what I mean? That's what we do when we have healing, like healing ministries in our church. And it actually works because they're using like things that God has created, like, you know, like the, 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 the plans of God and, the, and the, the people that don't know God, they actually kind of go and kind of borrow things and they kind of like replicate things. And it, you know what? It may not be in the name of Jesus Christ, but it still works. You know what I mean, because God has made it to work. So it's not counseling. It's not praise music. A lot of people think, oh, it's all about praise, you know, but it's not. And when you have praise music, it's praise music, but it's not, it's, it's not a, a, praise music does not make a church. Now, I remember going to a U2 concert, 19, 1997, it was a Pops tour. It was probably like, it was a U2 Pops, it was probably the first, like, real big concert that I ever went to when I was in college. My sister took me, and we went to, we went to the Coliseum, and I remember it was like, and everybody's all gathered, and it's like U2. You know, U2 is big. It was really big back then. Everybody's going crazy, and everybody has their hand up. They're singing along. like, one love, one love, but we're not the same. We need to carry. And I was like, man, this looks like church. I mean, I remember. I was like, man, this looks like what we do in church. And when, when, the, when they're singing along with the music, it, it almost looks like they're getting ministered to. I mean, like, they feel better afterwards, you know? But at the heart of it, what separates the church from just another social gathering is the pe- preaching and teaching of the word of God. And we have to remove all distractions from that happening. And, and one of the things, the distractions is myself. I'm a big distraction to the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. And when I should be getting ready for my sermon, I'm playing with my wife, watching TV, going to the beach. Now, these are things that I, me as a preacher... I need to realize what's most important in this church for me as being the preaching pastor is preaching and teaching of the word of God. But in my choleric nature, you know, like the, the other day I came, I, had, I came to church as I got around my sermon and then these wires needed to be put back together because the piano was coming. And I think in my head, I was like, well, Roy's not here. I'm, I'm just going to do it myself. And I sit there going through this one. I put it all together. And after, afterwards, I was like, man, this is getting in the way of me preaching. I mean, today, I came in here. And then Jen was having problem with the computer, I mean, with the printer. And I should have just sat down and started praying, but I went back there trying to fix it. Is, is it going to work? Is it working? You know, it's it, it, it distracting the w- preaching of the word of God. And that's a big no-no. It really is. And for myself, 
You know, Mina does an amazing job of supporting me. When I'm preaching, she's like, can I get you some toast? Can I get some milk? She really is. You know, she, she understands it. She understands that what's important when it comes down to it is the preaching of the word of God. You know, and so I need to get better at that. You know? I realized when I was writing this sermon, I was like, man, I need to get better at this. Even for my own self, I got to be better at not distracting the word of God from going out. And so there was this issue that came up amongst the Jews you know, the, the widows were not being fed properly. The Hellenistic Jew, Jewish widows, you know, these women that lost their husband, they don't have any children, they're true widows, they weren't, they weren't being fed. They weren't giving, being given their daily allotment of food. And so what do the apostles do? You know, this problem comes up, what do the apostles do? they come together, make a committee, and talk about it? You know, do they have everybody vote? Everybody vote what, what we think we should do. What do they do? What happens is, they just make an apostolic decree. They're like, you know what? This is just the way it's going to be. Now, if you read verse uh, 3 to 7, it says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we shall appoint for this duty. They're like, you know what? Go, go and do this. They make this apostolic decree. And so, this, you know, and all of this, you know, that, that first part really wasn't my sermon. You know, I... It, all it, I was like, I was like reading this, and I'm like writing this down just to get to this point um, in, in my sermon. But all of this to say is, is that the, like this is the beginning of the deacons. You know, when when they choose people to serve, it was the first time up till now. It was always the apostles. The apostles were doing everything, but now it's the first time when the, when the, the church starts to pick out leaders, servants to to serve in the church. And although the word deacon isn't mentioned in this text. Many people say that this was the appointment of the first deacons. The word deacon in Greek means diakonos, which basically means servant. So these, the, the church is picking people to serve in the house. <clears throat> so these are, oh, my mouth is really dry. So these are the first servant leaders of the church. Okay? The first outside of the 12 to serve within the church. And what are they basically told to do? Okay, if we read it, they're basically told to wait on tables. <laughs> Is it not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables? No. So there, these men, these, these seven men are chosen to serve, and they're basically told to, to, to serve tables to the widows. It was basically their job at the beginning was to serve tables. And then, but if we look at how they went about choosing these seven, it's pretty amazing, okay? They're choosing these seven men to do this menial task, but what do they, what do they ask for? Do they say, you know what? You look, you look all right. Why don't you go and serve some food over there to the widows? Yeah, go, go, go over there and serve some food. Is that, is that what they do? They just pick just random people? Uh, you, yeah, you look like you're not doing anything. Why don't you go and uh, serve the widows over there in the corner? You know, and, and everything's fine. You know, everybody's going over there and serving. Give them food. No, what do they do? What do they ask them to do? They ask them to go and pick, the, pick out the ones that are filled with the Spirit. And they tell them to go and pick the, wise, the wisest among them. And, 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 they, and they choose them to be the first servants. People to actually go and serve the house. In this menial task of giving food to women that have been widowed. No, they, they pick out amongst them seven men of good repute. These are outstanding men. These are men like John Newfeld. They have, they have stature. 
You know, they have a great reputation, like Herman. You know, men of, 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 of integrity, you know. They've proven themselves, and they pick out these men and say, go and wait on these tables. And when I read this, it was, I was reminded of our core value. It says, be faithful in small things. And you know what? It's not our core value because it sounds good. It's not our core value because we need somebody to clean the bathrooms. It's our core value because it's what Jesus taught. Jesus taught that we should be faithful in small things. He taught us about being a servant. If you want to follow him, we have to be willing to serve. That's what he's saying. Matthew 10, he says, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give, to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus calls us to serve. Like the apostles called these seven men to serve the church, God is calling all of you guys to serve, to be a servant. John thirteen twelve. this is after Jesus washes their feet. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am. If I then, you... Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater greater than the one who sent him. And when we see at the heart of what Jesus is saying here, he's saying we need to serve. We need to be a servant. We need to serve him, and we need to serve each other. Not just each other in the church, but we need to serve the people that are around us. God's calling us to be a servant. Now, there's a very powerful message by Pastor Christian called Servants and Son. It was preached by Pastor Christian way back in August of 2010. And he talks about how we cannot identify ourselves as a servant, but as a son. Now, we are first sons. God identifies himself as always as a father and in essence we have to identify ourselves to him as a son and it was a powerful word it was a word that went out and it broke the the the, the, the bondage of striving off of our church like you know a lot of churches people are so caught up in striving and, and doing and, and and but it brought it broke that off of people and it brought just this amazing ability to be a son you know to be what God has called us to be. And our identity must first be that of a son. And it's in the overflow of that identity as a son that we are called to serve. We must have a heart of a servant, but the mindset and the identity of a son. It was a powerful word, and I encourage you to go and download it. Go to newphilly.cc. And on it, there's like podcasts going all the way back to 2007. You can go back, and I encourage you to download and listen to that sermon. And although we are first called to be a son, it doesn't negate the fact that we are also called to be a servant to all. As a matter of fact, because you are a son, God calls you to a deeper level of service. You know, imagine, I was talking to Egbert yesterday. Egbert's a guest 
uh, here. He, he goes to the Itaewon campus. He's from South Africa. And he was talking to us about how he grew up on a farm. Like, not like in a farm, like, and not in the country, but he literally grew up on a farm. I mean, like, the closest, like, how many kilometers? 500 kilometers away from the nearest movie theater or something like that. And I was like, man, you, man, <laughs> if, if I live 500 k- kilometers away from I would move. <laughs> I, like, 13 years up, mom, sorry. I know I, I love you and everything, but I'm going to move. I need, I need my movie theaters. I need, I, I need, I need. I need, like, modern things, you know? But he grew up on a farm. And imagine if you grew up on a farm, right? And, and you li- you're living on this farm, and your fa- it's your father's farm. Your dad grows, uh, I don't know, asparagus. <laughs> and and you're, is that, your dad's an asparagus farmer, right? right? And, 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 and your dad has a servant, okay? And he works from 6 to 6. 6 in the morning, 6 to 6. And, but, you know but th- all of a sudden, there's this like this this uh, huge rainstorm that's coming, and you guys need to, all the asparagus that's in harvest needs to come in, or it's gonna get washed away, right? A servant is gonna be like, all right, it's six to six, he's working, working. At six o'clock, evening comes around, he's gone. Like, that's my job. I'm a servant, okay? When the, and when the time allotted for me to work is is over, he's gone. But as a son, if you're a good son, what are you going to do? You're going to keep working until the work is done. See what I mean? And that's the type of a heart of a servant that God's calling out of each and every one of us, out of each and every one of you. It's not just certain people that are called to serve. We are all called to serve. You guys are every single one of you. You guys, could, this could be your first Sunday. God's calling you to serve. Maybe not here. Somewhere he's calling you to serve. He's calling you to be a servant, you know? but to serve from a place of sonship, knowing that you know you're not a you're not a you're not a you don't have the identity of a servant. You're you're a son, but because you're a son, you need to serve even deeper, going to deeper levels of service. All of you guys have been called to serve, serve God, serve the church but also serve the people that are around you in your workplace. People that you meet. We have to have a heart of a servant. We have to have a heart of servanthood. Identity of a son, but our hearts need to be flowing with servanthood. And I want to ask you what what that looks like. What does it look like? What does it look like to be a servant of Jesus Christ? And to serve him properly. Serve him like a son. What does it look like? And here in chapter 6 and 7 of Acts, we see an amazing example of a servant of Jesus Christ. And he's one of the, 12, he's one of the seven that were chosen to be a deacon, to actually be a servant. And his name is Stephen. And, and when you look at the account of okay, Stephen comes out in two chapters of the Bible. Chapter 6 and chapter 7. That's it. Now you hear about him being chosen as a as a deacon, and then you hear you hear about him dying, and that's it. You know, you see, a, it's a, just like it's like a shooting star, <laughs> the blink of an eye. Stephen was here, and Stephen's gone. You know? but on, on all those Stephen's life, the account of Stephen's life is very short in the scheme of things, and the compared to the, the 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 weight of the Bible, the lessons that can be drawn from his life are very significant, and it's huge. 
You know, Stephen was known for being a deacon. Okay, what is it? What, what's the Greek word for deacon? Diakonos means servant. Okay, he's also known to be the first martyr. You know what the Greek word for martyr is? It means martis, which actually means to be a, a witness, to bear witness, a one that bears witness. And I don't think this is a coincidence. I don't think it's a coincidence that this servant ended up being one that bears witness for Jesus Christ. But I believe that it's a natural progression in the kingdom of God. If you serve Christ in the manner in which he is to be served, you naturally become a witness for him. So what lessons can we get from the life of Stephen? Now, when we read chapter 6 and 7, we see that Stephen was chosen to serve, got in a dispute with some wrong people. He says his long speech, and then they kill him. And when I was young, that's all I really got out of the story. This guy becomes a deacon, gets into an argument. There's this long sermon. There's this long speech. It's like this one whole chapter of him just talking. And they get mad and they kill him. And I was like, oh, I guess that's what a martyr is. I don't want to be a martyr. (laughs) That's kind of the lesson that I got from this when I read this at a young age. You know, when I read the book of Acts when I was young, I was like, man, I was like, Stephen, that's good. Moving on. You know? Because, you know what, a lot of the time, the focus on Stephen, the main focus on Stephen, for most people that read the Bible, is the fact that he's a martyr. It's how he died. You know what I mean, they look at Stephen, it's like, man, he was the first martyr. He died. And then they move on. But they don't, they, they, they don't see the significance of how he lived. You know what I mean? It's how he lived that led to how he died. And instead of focusing so much on how he died, when we look at how he lived, there's amazing lessons to be learned. And so let's, let's look at his life. How did he live? What kind of a man was Stephen in the book of Acts? And the first point I want to make is he's a man filled with the Holy Spirit and he was filled with wisdom. Acts 6.3 says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Acts 6.10, when he's arguing with these scribes and Pharisees, he says, um, he says, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. He was filled with the spirit of God. And he was filled with wisdom. And he was marked by this. When you read this, you see that he's a man of, of the spirit. And he was a man that was filled with wisdom. You see it in his, in his sermon. A lot of wisdom in that sermon. And so how did he get this? How did he become a man of, of the Spirit? How did he become a man filled with the Spirit of God? How did he become a man filled with wisdom? And the answer is prayer. He lived a life of prayer. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you know what you have to do? You got to pray. If you want to be filled with the wisdom of God, you know what you got to do? You got to pray. It says, anyone who wants wisdom, ask, and, and God will give you according. He'll, he'll pour it out on you. But you got to ask. And asking isn't like, God, give me wisdom. Thanks. No, you got to pray. You got to ask God. You got to sincerely go to him. In, in that place of, of understanding who he is, 
and what he can do for you. And you got to just pray and you got to ask. You got to spend time in your prayer closets. For some of you guys, you got to come out to Friday fire. And we have a, we have a, a bi-weekly Friday prayer meeting. And some of you guys need to, you guys need to come out. If you want to grow in the spirit, and if you, got to, you want to grow in wisdom, you guys got to be praying. Not just in your prayer closet, but together as a body of Christ. You got to come together and we got to pray. So the first aspect of Stephen's character and who he was, he was filled with the spirit of God and he was filled with wisdom. Number two, he was filled with the word of God. How do we know Stephen was filled with the word of God? I encourage you to go and read chapter 7 of Acts. And you'll know that he was filled with the word of God. No, he's, he's in front. These people come and accuse him. Like, man, you're blaspheming against Moses. You're blaspheming against God. And then right there on the spot, he comes up with this long speech off the top of his head. And you know what he does? He, uh, he like basically gives him a history lesson of the people of Israel. Going back all the way from Abraham. And then, and then going to Joseph. And then going to Moses. And he talks about the tabernacle of David. Talking about the, the, the traveling tabernacle but that, that was in the time of David. And he, and he brings it down to the, the temple that Solomon built. And throughout all of this, you know what he's doing? He's defending himself. And when we read it, it just looks like a history lesson. But when you read it carefully... He's not only defending himself, but in the end, he turns it around on them. And he's, he's like, man, he, he accuses them. He's like, you guys are resisting the Holy Spirit, just like your forefathers did back in the day. You guys are killing the prophets. You just killed the, 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 the greatest person that ever lived, just like your, your forefathers did. And you yourselves are, are, are blaspheming against Moses. You guys are breaking the law of Moses, just like your forefathers did. And he was filled with the word of God. And you know what? This sermon could have been a lot longer if I would have stuck on this point. Because as I was writing this, I was starting to write another sermon. And I was like, man, I got to put all this in. And, then, and I, I actually started writing it out. And I realized, man, it's another sermon. And I decided to preach it another day. So I'm not going to go too much into it. But this man was filled with the word of God. It doesn't mean that he just read it. But he studied it. And then he, he not only studied it, he memorized it. And he started, to, he started to be who he was in his heart. It was inscribed in his heart. So like when it came up, he was, it was at the tip of his mouth. And he didn't stutter. And he just spoke out with boldness. And it's eloquent. When you read chapter 7 of Acts, it is beautifully, it is beautifully spoken. He's a melancholy. You can tell. He's a melancholy. He's a deep thinker. Not like me. Like, blah, 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 blah. But he, he was a deep thinker. You can see that he was filled with the word of God. You know, and, and what happens? They can't, they, they can't refute him. They can't argue against him. They just get angry. They get enraged. The spirit, the, the spirit of the devil gets inside him. Like, ah! And they just kill him. Yeah. But he was a man filled with the word of God. And you know what? If you want to serve Jesus properly... If you want to serve Jesus the way that he needs to be served, we have to know the Bible. This goes deep, it's deeper for me. If I want to serve Jesus properly as a preaching pastor, I've got to know the Bible. I've got to go deeper into the Word of God. I've got to read more. 
Because everything written about everything written in this book right here, in the Old Testament, New Testament, starting from Genesis all the way to Revelation, you know what it's doing? It's pointing to Jesus Christ. Everything that's written in this Bible in some way is pointing. It's a prophetic declaration of the person of Jesus Christ. And so we have to know the Word of God. We have to be a people that knows the Word of God. And if you want to be a servant, if you want to serve Jesus properly, if you want to be a true servant of Jesus Christ, He's calling you to know His Word. He's calling you to know this deeper. And, and you, don't, you don't graduate from the Bible. I don't know anybody that's actually graduated from reading the Bible. You got to keep reading it. Even if you've read it 30 times. For John Michael read this book. He's a pastor in Seoul. He probably read this book like 100 times. But even him, he, not, he needs to keep reading. You're never done with the Word of God. That's the life that you have to be living. Constantly and forever be, be walking in and, and, and learning and discovering the Word of God. And Stephen, when we look at this man, when we look at how he spoke, we realize he's a man filled with the Word of God. Number three, another aspect of Stephen's character is a man of faith and empowered. You know, Stephen was not an apostle. As a matter of fact, most theologians believe that Stephen didn't actually personally know Jesus. He didn't really see him being crucified on the cross. Most likely, he was one of the people at Pentecost you know, the, the, that traveled from all around the world, I mean, all around that, the known world at the time, the Jews that came together, he's probably one of those people. And so he, his, his life with the church, you know, probably started at Pentecost. And him learning all of these things about Jesus, you know, probably, whether or not he knew Jesus or not, he was a man of faith. He's a man of great faith. So much so that his faith led him to be martyred. He died for the name of Jesus Christ. And we also see another aspect of his faith in the demonstration of his power. Chapter 6, verse 8, it says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And and the funny thing, when you look at this, up till this point in Acts, the only people that were doing miracle signs and wonders were the apostles. They were the actual 12 chosen by Jesus Christ to be established as apostles. They're the ones. It, It says earlier, great Signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. But then we see Stephen here, after he, you know, they lay hands and they pray for him, you're a deacon, go and serve, serve these tables of wit- widows. And what, is he, what do we find him doing? He's manifesting he, the power. Like miracle signs and wonders are accompanying him when he, when, when he speaks the word of God. And... and you know, up to this point, it's only been the apostles. But now he's doing it, and it was out of his faith. He said, you know what? If God could do it through them, he could do it through me. If, I, if God could do it through Peter, he could do it through me. And that faith rose up in him. You know, last week, Pastor Myungwa came, and he, she gave us a powerful testimony. When you, when you, look, when you study the life of Pastor Myungwa, you realize that, man, signs and wonders accompany that woman. And every time she goes on a mission trip, she comes back with some of the craziest testimonies. Some of the best, the amazing testimonies that I've had in my times that I've been out on the mission field, I was there with Pastor Myungwa. And, and when, you, when you look at her, she, 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 
where, I don't know what it is. It's that childlike faith. But she, she brings no, signs and wonders and miracles accompany it. And last week, we, 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 she told this amazing testimony of how she was out in the mission field and she saw these amazing signs and wonders. And some of you guys might be thinking, you know what, that's Pastor Myungwa. You know, she, she's, she's a pastor. She's great. You know, she's probably filled with the Spirit. But not for me. Probably not me, you know. That's her. But, you know, I'm, you know I'm just, I just come to church. I'm in a small group. That's about it. I haven't really been serving. Man, that, that's not for me. But Stephen wasn't like that. He was like, you know what? If God could do it for these guys, he could do it for me. And he rose up in faith. And brothers and sisters, you guys, you guys have to know. If God could do it for Pastor Milwaukee, well, he, he can do it for you. When you go out on the mission field, just claim it. Just claim it. God, the supernatural can work through me. I can, wherever I go, signs and wonders can accompany me. It comes through your faith. Do you truly believe? Is, 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 that, is that a reality in your life? Is that a reality in your heart? When you see it, when you hear these testimonies that Pastor Melwa is talking about, do you, can you claim that as yours? And it's a level of faith. And when we look at Stephen, he was a man of faith. He was like, man, I can do it. You know, up till now, I was just following everybody. You know, I was worshiping, and yeah, this is good. And, you know, I was, I was listening to what the apostles were talking about. It was a good sermon by Peter. You know? But, you know, and then what happens? He gets chosen to serve. It's like, you know what? He, he, they lay hands on him. He starts to serve. And in that, in that aspect of him choosing to serve, his faith rose up. And he said, like, you know what? I could, I could be just like the apostles. I could be, I, you know what? If he, God can do it for him, them, he can do it for me. And he stood on his faith. And he was able to perform miracles, signs, and wonders. It says signs and wonders. Wonders and signs were, were happening among the people through Stephen. He was a man of faith. And he was a man of power. And we are all called to be people of faith and power. Faith that will help us to stand firm no matter what like opposes us or no matter what comes against us. And through that faith, we are called to live a life of power. Every one of us, we're called to live a life of the supernatural. Our, our, our core value, supernatural is natural. Do you guys really believe it? Do you really believe it? Or do you think it's only for people like Pastor Melwin? It's only for people like Pastor Christian? No. It's for everybody. It's for you. You've got to claim it in faith. When we look at Stephen, we realize that he's a man of faith. Number four, Stephen is a man of courage. He was courageous. He wasn't afraid to rebuke these leaders. You know, these leaders that had the, the power to kill him. These people that were in control of just the religious, everything that was, had to do with religion at the time, everything that had to do with the study of the law, was, these people were in charge. And he was not afraid to rebuke them. He, he, he was courageous. 1 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self, self-control. Joshua 1.9, Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. God's call us to be people of courage. And when we look at Stephen, man, he was courageous. 
Those people were picking up stones. Oh, this is like a good one. They're picking up rocks. They're getting ready to stone him. He didn't flinch. He stood his ground. He was a man of courage. And finally, number five, Stephen was a man of grace and love. Luke says that Stephen was full of grace. And you want to see an image of a man that's full of grace? The end of chapter 7, when the, men, the people are stoning him. Verse 60, he looks up and says, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. These men that were filled with evil, chucking stones at him. He, he's about to die. He knows he's about to die. Even, upon his, even until his death, he remains gracious. He remains in that place of love. It's like, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He was operating. He was a man filled with grace. And you know, as servants of Christ, we also need to be filled with grace. And we know that we have to always be walking in love. We can't be easily offended. Now, I get offended by my wife easily. I don't know. It's a lesson that God's been teaching me be a better minister but we can't get offended so easily we got to be gracious we have to be gracious in love not just to the people that are in this church no when roy offends me oh i can forgive roy no not just in the church but in in your workplace amongst your friends people that that you meet on the bus people that you meet on the subway you step on your your uggs you leave a huge mark you step on your Birkenstocks, and it hurts. You got you to gotta remain in that place of grace. You got to remain in that place of love. And we look at Stephen. He was a man of grace. He was a man of love. And so we, we see these characteristics of Stephen. He was filled with the Spirit. He was filled, filled with the Spirit of God. He was walking in wisdom. Filled with the Word of God. He was filled with faith and power. He was filled with courage. And he was filled with grace and love. You know, this is a great description of the man that Stephen was. But this description describes somebody else. It's a description of Jesus Christ. Stephen was special because he lived his life like Christ. When we read about the last moments of Christ, and we see an amazing thing. I mean, when we see, read about the last moments of Stephen, we see an amazing thing. I want you guys to turn your Bibles to... Acts 7, verse 56. Guys, there, I'm going to read. It says, And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. It says, And behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man Standing at the right hand of God. You know, there's this thing, there's this, there's a saying that in the temple, in the temple in Jerusalem, there are no chairs. Because the work of the priest never ends. There's always offering to be made. There's always offering. There's always sacrifices that need to be made. And there are no chairs for the for the priests, because they're always it's, it's a sign that it, the, the redeeming work of, of sacrifice, it never ends. But what happened when Christ, he died? What happened? He said, it is finished. 
It is finished. It ended. That the sacrifices, all that blood, it came to an end. It ended with Christ. And when we, when we see, even Christ, when he talks about how, what he's doing up in heaven, what does it say? He is seated in heaven. As Jesus himself says in Luke 22, he says, But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the, might, of the mighty God. Mark 14, Jesus says, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. The work is done. He is seated at the exalted, is in the exalted place. He is seated at the right hand of God. But when Stephen looks up at, he- at, at the heavens, what does it say? He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And I believe that this discrepancy is quite significant. It's not like Luke meant to write sit, but he wrote stand. But I believe that Jesus is standing because he's acknowledging Stephen. Saying, man, this this guy gets it. He knows. He know he 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 understands it. He understands what it's gonna what it takes to follow me. He, he's he's an ex, he's a perfect example of what it what it means to be a servant of Jesus Christ. He's walking in it, and and as he's he's like, you know what? I'm gonna, I receive him, and it's Christ. He's standing at the right hand of the, of the Father, and he's acknowledging Stephen as he's being stoned. Now, I want to end with this. We are all not called to martyrdom. It's true. We are all, not, probably none of us in here, maybe one, maybe two, not. Probably none of us in here are called to martyrdom. We are not all called to martyrdom. But we are called to live the life of a martyr. A witness. To bear witness of Jesus Christ no matter what the cost. You know what? We are all not called to be deacons in the church. Not all of us will become a deacon. But we are all called to serve. Be servants of Jesus Christ. You know? And when, when we look at the life of Stephen, we realize that it was, a, it was a life marked with a heart of a servant. He was a servant. He served Christ to the, to the very end. And when we look at him, he's He's filled with the Spirit of God. He's walking in wisdom. He's filled with the Word of God. He's filled with faith and power. He's courageous. He's filled with grace and he's filled with love. And when we look at his life, we realize he's living his life like Jesus Christ. And that's what God's calling us to do. God's calling us, be like me. You know? And you know what the crazy thing is? is When Stephen was getting stoned, you know who... who, who it says, what does it say? That Paul was there, and what did he do? And, and, and Saul, is actually Saul before he became Paul. Saul approved of his execution. And it, it, the, the moment before Saul, Saul becomes Paul, he sees this man being stoned to death. And it's this, this example of everything that he hates. But you know what Saul becomes? When he becomes Paul... He becomes exactly like Stephen. It's just like, you see, it's, it's, it's like this prophetic thing that as he's looking upon him, he's like, man, kill that man. Because I don't like, I, I hate everything that, that he represents. Everything, man, I can't stand it. He's like, just kill him. But as he sees this man dies, little will he know that this is a, 
few weeks later, he's going to be exactly like him. And as a matter of fact, he's going to carry that torch. He's going to go to the, to the ends of the world doing exactly what this man was doing. And, and it's not what Stephen was doing, but it was what Christ demonstrated for us to be. Let's pray. Father God, we just, we stand before you and we say we want to be like you, God. We want to be like your son, Jesus. You called us to be like Jesus. You called us to be filled with your spirit. You've called us to be filled with wisdom, filled with faith, filled with courage, filled with the word of God. Filled with love, filled with compassion, filled with grace. And we pray, Lord, make us more like you every day, Lord. Help us to, to manifest these characteristics, these, this character that Stephen was walking in as he modeled his life around Jesus Christ. As he looked at Christ and said, I want to be like him. Lord, help us to be like you. Lord, help us to be a a demonstration of who you are. Help us to be a manifestation of the love that you carry. Help us to be a manifestation of the faith that you embody. Help us to be a manifestation, Lord, of the courage that you walked in. Lord, Jesus, it's all about being you, walking in your footsteps, walking in what you did. Lord, and I pray that each and every one of us here, Lord, sanctify us, God. Sanctify us transform us may it not just be changes in our behavior God changes in, in, in the way that we do things but may it be a transformation that comes from the depth of our hearts that as it manifests your, as your spirit manifests in us God as the spirit of the living God starts to embody us and dwell in us and starts empowering us Lord Help us to walk like you walked. And help us to be you, Lord. And I declare that for every single person in this place. That as days go by, as they go deeper into your word, as they go deeper into prayer, as they go deeper in intimacy with you, God, you are transforming them into the image of Christ. You're transforming each and every one of us to the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior, God. So we thank you, Lord. And and, and Lord, we give you everything. Lord, I give you everything that I am, Lord. Every aspect of my life. Every aspect of my future, God. I give it all to you in service, Lord. And that, that in my life, 
Christ in me is to live and to die is to gain. Lord, and help us to die to you. That we truly are a new creation. That our life comes from you and you alone. We love you, God. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen.